turn your Bibles to Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah, about the matter, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what it is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation of the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future, and he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. 
But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. This section of scripture is very important. And in context, it's very important in the sense of even the pastoral prayer that was prayed this morning. A sense of understanding of God's sovereignty in all things. God's sovereignty among the nations. How God uses men in and among the nations. And the importance of prayer among believers, even for the nation and the leaders of a nation. The thoughtfulness that we have from Daniel here is important to us, and it should not be taken from our minds very quickly. This should not leave our minds the moment we walk out of here because everything in the happenings in these verses is very applicable to our day and age. We see here something that's very dire. Daniel's life, the life of his friends, and the life of these magicians, sorcerers, Chaldeans, and diviners who would often want to disagree with Daniel, all of these lives are on the line. In a sense, in the immediacy of the moment, the death of these men is more certain than anything else. I want you to think about that. These people standing in that moment, hearing the king's edict, to them at that time, it was more certain to them that they would be killed or murdered than than was anything else. That's quite a position, isn't it? When you can be in a place, in a moment in time, and think to yourself, in my mind right now, my death is more certain to me than is anything else. I want us to see the outworking of God's grace in the life of Daniel in dealing with these matters. And I put it to you that way because so many times people just talk about Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. And we do want to have some understanding and emphasis of Daniel. But we need to see that this is the grace of God working in and through Daniel. We need to recognize this is God's work in and through Daniel. We can't just praise the man as if he is an entity to himself, as if somehow he's the moral one among all the others because he himself is moral in and of himself. No, this is a man who has had the covenant grace of God applied to his soul. And that covenant grace is being worked out in his life and through his life and going out to those around him in a specific time, in a specific manner, in a specific way. We cannot say this will be true of every man in God's grace in the specific instances. But the ideology of what is happening in the life of Daniel is true in every believer. God's grace is working in every believer to bring about maturity, understanding, and thoughtfulness in the truths of who God is and His Word to His people that they would live and act according to his word. We may never be the person summoned before the president, 
but that doesn't lessen our responsibility to pray for the nation. It doesn't lessen our responsibility to think rightly and pray even for God to raise up men who could be those brought before the president. We're in need of those kind of men today that in some way God in providence would raise them up that they would be maybe a, a Daniel of our day. We don't necessarily really need January 6th men. We need some men like Daniel. Not merely just because of who Daniel is, but we need them because of what God's grace did in his life. It is God working in Daniel that makes Daniel, Daniel. Firstly, this morning, God's grace grants prudence to Daniel in the Lord. God's grace grants prudence to Daniel in the Lord. One pastor put it this way. He said, rare indeed is that man who can keep his wits about him in troublous times. If you note here, there's a decree that's gone out from a king. And when a king makes a decree, and he's especially this angry, it's not often that, that decree is going to be ignored. And Arioch moves very, very quickly to take care of this decree. And he goes and he finds Daniel and he lets Daniel know, Hey, just wanted to let you know why I'm here. I'm here to kill you. What? Why? Is that the way Daniel reacted? Verse 14 says, Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch. Discretion and discernment. It's interesting, the scripture doesn't always give us this type of descriptive language, language of motive and heart. It does a lot, but it doesn't always do that. Sometimes it leaves us to the context to understand what it might, a response might have sounded like. But here, the scripture, God makes it very plain to us about Daniel's response to hearing this news. He was a man of prudence. He replied with discretion and discernment. Now, I have to be honest with you, that's not my first thought probably. If I didn't have these words and I'm, I'm thinking in my own personality that somebody shows up to my door to say, I'm here because President Biden said, you know, you're one of those preachers and we have to kill all of you. My first response might not be discretion and discernment. It might be, right? You know, we're gun-toting Southerners. Show up at my door and what's my first response going to be? Maybe not discretion and discernment. But here the scripture is very plain to tell us. It gives us that description very, very particularly. And I don't think we should just walk away from it. The word prudence has in it the idea not only of tact and discretion, but 
literally it has a sense of what is taste. When you taste something, you mull it over in your mouth and you really get a sense of what it is you're tasting. This is what we ought to do in a lot of our situations is mull them over just a moment more. Have some discretion, some discernment. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way. He says, taste is a mysterious sense which experience can develop to a high degree. There are some people who are able to tell the difference between what seems to the rest of us virtually indistinguishable. In some ways, prudence is just like that. It is a sensitive awareness of the kind of behavior that is appropriate in different circumstances. Daniel was able to have this sense here. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, this. I I watched a a documentary on this years ago. It kind of just perked my interest. But there are people who go around tasting ice cream, and this is their job. Now, I'm thinking I'm in. But the difficulty for me is I have these allergies and it affects my taste. And when I watched this documentary and this person could tell you each of the flavors and the many different things put into the ice cream and even talk about the ingredients because they could taste it, I'm thinking, nah, I'm out. I'm out. I just get sugar. That's what I taste. I go, mmm, sweet. Or if it's got peaches in it, I know. Yeah, I get that. It's a highly developed taste for me for peaches. I know the peaches. These people can really parse it out. Here's what Daniel did in the moment. He heard this edict from the king given to Arioch, and Arioch's there to carry out the edict, and he parsed it out, every ingredient in the moment, right then and there, and responded with discretion and discernment. God grants grace or grants prudence to Daniel in the Lord. God's grace grants prudence to Daniel in the Lord. Number two, God's grace turns Daniel to the Lord. First of all, we need to note here that Daniel... Now, I want you to... I don't know how these steps exactly worked per se, but we have in the text here that Daniel responded with this discretion and discernment, and he said, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? And Arioch informed Daniel of the matter, meaning he told him about what the king had had this dream, but he wanted people to interpret it, and not only to interpret the dream, but tell them what the dream is. So Daniel, hearing that, knows, well, this is a big deal because this is not just an interpretation of the dream, but we have to come up with the dream and we're not being told the dream. So Daniel gets it, he hears it, he understands, and then in verse 16 it says, So Daniel went in and requested of the king. Now, here's a very great grace of the Lord. Daniel, once again, can go before the king 
and enter before him and not be just obliterated. And in going in before the king, he declares to the king, look, give me some time, I'll do what you want want done. And this is a great grace that Daniel has already found favor in the eyes of not only the commanders and the officials, but he's found favor in the king because in the latter part of chapter 1, the very end, the king noted there was none like these four, right? So Daniel gets a hearing with the king. And upon getting a hearing with the king and finding out probably for sure exactly what Arioch had said, he... He's probably getting confirmation, right? Well, then what happens? Daniel went to his house and informed his friends. God's grace here to Daniel is that Daniel turns to the Lord. It's a very different ideology than what Nebuchadnezzar has shown us. Nebuchadnezzar, what does he do? He has a dream. It really gets his mind going. And where does he appeal? He appeals to man. Nebuchadnezzar appeals to man. He calls all these people together. Okay, you've got to figure this out. This thing's just haunting me in my dreams. I've got to know what this is. And oh, by the way, I'm not going to give you a chance to kind of skirt around all of this. You're going to have to tell me what the dream is as well as interpret it. He appeals to men. And when Daniel goes to be with his friends, who does, who does Daniel and his friends appeal to? They appeal to God. It's a great grace been given to Daniel that he turns to the Lord. One writer says, when Nebuchadnezzar is trapped, he turns to force and tries to fight his way out. But when Daniel sees no way out, he takes refuge in God in prayer. If Daniel in his discernment and discretion could have said something to appease the king in the moment, to have dealt with the matter as is and shown in this moment, here's godly discretion, then Daniel would have said those things. But upon hearing not only Arioch but hearing the king as well, Daniel realizes this is not a moment that it's merely about my words of discretion and and my enlightenment and my ability. I now have to go to the Lord with all fervor not that he wouldn't have gone before God's grace turns Daniel to the Lord thirdly God's grace grants pleasing prayer to the Lord this is not just Daniel turning the Lord but he turns to the Lord in this very specific way he calls his friends together and he calls them together for a time of prayer When he informed his friends, it says, verse 18, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven. The word request there is often a word used in scripture referring to the idea of prayer. Going before the Lord, making our petitions known. Petitioning God, requesting of him. In some sense, prayer is almost forgotten 
in modern Christianity. We're so activity-based that we're always trying to find something that we can do in our own physical ability to say, look at what I did for God. And there certainly is a place for that at times. I'm not denying that. But it's interesting to me here that Daniel, who is a man who apparently knows the word, he's a young man who knows the word of God, He's probably in one of the the parts of his life where he is at his prime strength and he doesn't result to his strength. He doesn't turn to his own personal strength of body and to some degree even of mind. He's quite different than Samson, isn't he? In this moment, he turns to the Lord in prayer. And he even encourages and asks his friends to pray with him. As one writer said, in a sense, this prayer is quite thoughtful. He says, every phrase in Daniel's prayer reflects language found on the high level of the Psalms. What does this prayer have in it? Let's, Let's note the prayer for a moment. In verse 20, Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. First of all, there's praise in this prayer. Praise of who God is. Let the name of God, the the being of God, be blessed forever and ever. Why? For wisdom and power belong to him. This prayer is a prayer of sovereignty. Speaking of the sovereignty of God. It's a theological prayer. It's interesting here that in the moment, Daniel could have just skipped to the part of, Hey, we're in trouble. Give us some help. Right? I mean, things are a little bit dire. There's a lot going on. Lives are at risk here. Daniel and his friends could have just skipped to that part and said, God, you know, all that stuff's happened, and boom, we need some help. Get to it. But even in that moment, in this kind of a prayer, he starts with praise, and it's praise of God's sovereignty. For wisdom, all wisdom, he is wisdom. And power, he is all-powerful. It belongs to him. He is the possessor of it, for there is none like him. Further, to speak of this sovereignty in verse 21, it is he who changes the times and the epics He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men. It's important in our prayers to recognize the sovereignty of God for who he is. And here in this moment, we see this identification with Daniel himself coming before God, praising him for his sovereignty. 
He's saying he has sovereignty in his being. He has sovereignty over logistics, times and seasons, or epics. Calvin said, if then in these ordinary events, the changing of the seasons, we acknowledge God's providence, if any change of greater moment arises, ought we not then to take note unless we are utterly stupid? If God changes the times and the seasons and we would give him praise for that, well, when things are happening in our lives, why would we not go before him and pray unto him in that same sovereignty? If he's sovereign over the changes of times, seasons, epics, errors, kings, and authorities, is he not sovereign in our lives? Why would we not even take the providences of our life to God? not only sovereignty in logistics or sovereignty in being, sovereignty in logistics, but it's sovereignty over politics. Del Ralph Davis has this short phrase, political turnover is in God's control. It's pretty succinctly said, but it's right, isn't it? It means nothing's left to chance. You think we have the government in the United States that we have now because of chance? It just fell that way? No. No. I would say to you all as a nation, we're getting what we deserve as a nation. We've rebelled against the God who allowed this nation to be formed, we have rebelled against the God who made a plan for this nation to be formed. We have told this God, the one true living God, that we hate you. And it's not just Biden. Every aspect of our government has been infiltrated by the corruptions Satan himself and that wickedness is being poured out all over this country you know why because there are millions of people who want it this way and they vote like this and they think like this because they are depraved in their minds God is sovereign over these things. We must bow before him. Certainly we can plead for his grace and his mercy. But we also need to plead that we would be people of discernment and discretion. Lord, don't make us a bunch of frothing at the mouth idiots running around screaming and yelling going ballistic in people out of our minds like rabid dogs. Give us discernment and discretion that even if we are not heard, we will have discretion and thoughtfulness in our persecution.
If there's a time to take greater stand, give us discretion. And may it not be wild, heathenistic revolt. What makes the Revolutionary War different from most is that it was put together by thoughtful men. Certainly there were men involved in it who we would look at some of their actions and say, no, I disagree with that. But the reasoning behind it was discernment and discretion. We don't need just any idiot who can swing a gun around and scream and yell at people. We need men of thoughtfulness, discernment, and discretion. This is not a chance for us. There's no such thing as chance. Sproul makes it clear chance does nothing. Chance is not a thing. It has no power. This is the sovereignty of God being worked out in Daniel's day, and it's the sovereignty of God being worked out in ours. And we need to bow before him and pray, just as Daniel and his friends did. It's not only a prayer of sovereignty, but it's a prayer of humility. Realizing this, not only who this God is, Daniel realizes who he is. It's God that gives wisdom to men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is God who reveals the profound and hidden things. It is as Daniel kneeling before God and saying, these things are are too great for me. You have to reveal these things, God. You are the one who does it. There are times we go before this before our God in prayer as if we do know everything. God, if you will just do it my way. And that's not Daniel's prayer. It's a prayer of humility. We may know the law of God and we can say we know God's law rightly and we can pray about the law of God understanding it to a certain degree rightly but we do not know God's plan and future providence perfectly. We barely even have a nibble of an understanding of God's present providence, much less the future. So we need to bow in humility before him. He may bring revival and save this nation, or he may bring it to its knees and ruin. who are we to talk back to God if he does it that way it's also the identification here that Daniel in the midst of all of this humility recognizes it moves him to a very thankfulness of God to you O God my fathers I give thanks and praise you're the God of my fathers for you have given me wisdom and power Even now you have made known to me what was requested. We see that God answered the prayer. And it moves Daniel in humility to give thanks. I say to you, there can be no true thankfulness if there is not humility. Humility. 
If you and I cannot be humbled by the truth of the gospel in our own lives, we will have no genuine humility and we will not be able to bow before the Lord in humility. Not only is this a prayer in sovereignty and humility, but it's also a prayer in solidarity. These men gathered together praying. It's why the body of Christ praying is so important. Recently on these Sunday mornings during Bible study time when we've gathered for prayer, I, I, I encourage you, please, don't stay home because it's not a Bible study. Come and let's pray together as a people. Wednesday evenings when the home groups meet and you all pray together. It's a time of solidarity to pray before the Lord. It's as Matthew Henry said, praying friends are valuable friends. Praying friends are valuable friends. Number four. God's grace grants sobering mercy to the unbelieving. It's interesting. Nebuchadnezzar goes to men to get all of this dealt with, and that's his whole appeal. Daniel goes before the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar goes before these men, still can't have any of it answered. Daniel goes before the Lord and gets the answer. When Nebuchadnezzar makes an appeal to men, doesn't get an answer, he fights by force and he's going to kill everybody. Daniel goes to the Lord and gets an answer and look at Daniel's response. Verse 24. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Nebuchadnezzar made an appeal to men and was ready to kill men. Daniel made an appeal to God and saved the lives of even the unbelieving. You can imagine beforehand when all of this was unfolding from verse 1 down to verse 13, you can imagine that the sorcerers, magicians, and Chaldeans were eating each other up over this revelation that their prognosticating days might soon come to an unforeseen end. You can think about that now. You're supposed to be prognosticators. But before the king told you you were about to die, you had no idea. Shows how wise you are. We're the wise men of Babylon. Oh, okay. Well, tell me the dream. And oh, by the way, if you don't, you're going to be killed. Whoa, we didn't see that one coming. God's grace grants sobering mercy to the unbelieving. When Daniel is able to not only tell the interpretation of the dream, but the dream to the king, he also makes an appeal not to kill these unbelieving men. If you think about it for a moment, those sorcerers and magicians were probably eating each other up from the inside out. I 
read an article this week about some, it's entitled The New School. It's a university in New York City. It's over $51,000 a year to send your child to this school. And uh, they've decided they've had all types of protests in the school recently. And one of these protests was for teachers, uh, professors, to get better wages and to get, uh, you know, better health insurance coverage and things like that. But now they've decided to protest also that all students need to receive all A's. Everybody gets all A's. Doesn't matter what you actually did in the class. Everybody gets all A's. Where do you think these students are getting these ideas from? The idea of liberalism worked out is all self-centered. So after a while, the self-centeredness goes to an end and all you care about is yourself. And then you begin to eat each other up from the inside out and it explodes and implodes. These sorcerers probably were doing the same thing and if it hadn't been for Daniel, they probably would have killed each other off before the king got to them. In a sense, you could say that Daniel steps in and God reveals great mercy to the Babylonian intelligentsia. Daniel saved the university. (laughs) The one thing that the university hates on a broad spectrum level in the United States is the one thing that would save it and keep it actually intact and being useful. Otherwise, it's going to implode because it's becoming unuseful. Students aren't learning anything. And they're taking that into the world, and the world's not learning anything. Every employer today feels like they have to re-educate somebody to get them to be a decent employee. And yet all along, as believers, what are we supposed to be doing? Praying for God to give mercy to the unbelieving, the same ones that want to persecute us and kill us. Well, I'll leave you just two thoughts. Number one, every man is a Calvinist on his knees. Every man is a Calvinist on his knees. Spurgeon made it clear. Nobody goes and bows on their knees and starts praying to men. Oh, Johnny, save yourself. I'm praying to you, Johnny, that you save yourself. Oh, Johnny, help yourself. Every professing believer who goes to the Lord in prayer believes in the sovereignty of God because that's why they're on their knees, because they know God is the only one who's sovereign. So every, every person who prays is a Calvinist on their knees. It's a little more rare to find Calvinists who stand up, but every one of them is found on their knees. Warfield said, The Calvinist is the Christian who confesses before men in his theology just what he believes in his heart before God. Number two, when standing before kings, it is best to put your cards on the table.
be clear about three things. The folly of worldly wisdom will lead you nowhere. The folly of worldly wisdom will lead you nowhere. Secondly, be clear. There needs to be a discipline of theology. If we ever have the opportunity to go before any of our local magistrate, we need to be clear that God is in control. Before we go, when we go, and while we're there. When you go and vote, do you vote disciplined in theology, in the sovereignty of God? Do you write letters or emails to those in charge that you would be thoughtful and reveal the sovereignty of God in all things to the magistrate? We need to remind our officials that they are under the sovereignty of God. This was the one thing the magicians couldn't do. Babylon's astrologers bowed to heaven's stars. Daniel bowed to heaven's God. As one writer said, they looked in the right direction, but too low. But too low. Our prayer is disciplined by our theology, and our actions need to be disciplined by theology. Thirdly, we need to be clear as well when we go before kings and magistrates. The only reason we're able to say the things that we say to them is not because we have wisdom in and of ourselves. It's what one writer called the sphere of instrumentality. If you are going to try to impress men with your own wisdom and trying to get the accolades for yourself, you've missed the point. If you're able to go before one of the local magistrate or write to them as thoughtfully as you should. You need to remind them that the only reason you can make this appeal is not because you are wise in and of yourself, but because the God who made you gave wisdom from his word so that you could say these things. And you are not making an appeal based on your own wisdom, raising or praising yourself. And in that sphere of instrumentality, we need to recognize that as we teach our children, we might be teaching one of our children or one of our grandchildren down the line how to live and act in a culture and a society that rebels and hates God. They might be the one who has the opportunity to go before a local official. And we're teaching them how to live and act with discretion and discernment, just as Daniel did. Let us pray that God would raise up young people among us that could be that thoughtful, that understanding, have that much discernment and discretion, that they could speak wisdom in an unwise world and, quite frankly, in an unwise nation. But to do it for God's glory, recognizing that God is sovereign and we are not.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've been merciful to give us this day to hear your word. Read and prayed and preached. We've sung the truths of your word in praise and honor and glory unto you. And now we come and ask that you would deal with our hearts according to your truth. That as we come to the table, we would glory in your Son alone. For the knowledge of our sin has been brought to bear from the truth of your word. The Spirit has worked in our souls that we may be convicted of our sin and confess our sin. And Lord, even that confession and repentance is done in prayer. Give us hearts to be a praying people. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.